everybody. Welcome to Salmorum Liber. That's Latin for studying the Psalms. And this is a series that I'm going to be going through in the book of Psalms, the whole book of Psalms. So starting in chapter one, and we'll go all the way through to chapter 150. And so these series of podcasts are available to you to listen to at your own leisure, to sit down and maybe use in your personal study time or reflection time or commuting time, whatever you would like. Hope you find them helpful, uh, useful, and uh, I hope that they help you not only grow in the knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, but also in your experience and worship of him. Thanks very much. Take care. And here is Psalm 3, a psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. And thus is the reading of God's word. And so we ask ourselves the question, what kind of psalm is this? Well, many people have labeled this a psalm of lament. Others have labeled it a psalm of trust. In, In essence, we see that David is crying out to God. And this establishes an absolute dependence of the writer upon the Lord. See, the lament will emphasize Hope beyond despair. And the writer knows that Yahweh will act and respond to his cry. Oftentimes, the lament will reveal a change in perspective that will oftentimes change the trajectory of the prayer or the psalm. And there are in scripture, and they are there in scripture to instruct us before, during, and after the circumstance that elicits our own lament. And so the lament will turn to the main and central theme of the psalm. explanation and or a rehearsal of the narrative or the story of the whole event. And sometimes laments are punctuated with questions. Sometimes they're rhetorical, which direct our attention to the very character and will of God. You see, petitions for intervention, deliverance, favor, and retribution are hallmark traits of the Psalms of lament. So in Psalms of Lament, we see that there is a turning to expressions of confidence and commitment, usually at the end. These expressions flow out of a rich back experience of the powerful and personal God of the universe. Sometimes the lament will include a community expression of the confidence and faith in God to deliver, rescue, and sustain. 
And so we call this a psalm of trust or a psalm of lament. It's the third psalm in the Psalter. And we see that the title there is a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. And if you want to look at the historical context of David fleeing Jerusalem when his son Absalom comes to take power, you can find that in 2 Samuel chapters 15 to 18. And there's a really rich history behind this psalm. You'll also see the inclusion of the word Selah. And the word Selah is found 71 times in the book of Psalms. And it may demark a an interlude or a pause of some kind. It may indicate an increase in volume of singing and playing. We simply do not know for sure why it's there. But I take it as a pause. And so when I read, you'll see that in between verses two and three, I would have paused. And the pause is a really, really good tool to drive home emphasis in what was just said. And so in Psalm three, I break it down into three sections, uh, verses one and two, verses three and four, verses five and six, and verses seven and eight. So indeed, it's not three, it's actually four parts, pardon me. So it's four parts, two verses each. And so the first section I've called the cry of oppression. And we see here in the cry of oppression, the idea of foes, the the, the name of foes or the oppressors. It often indicated a very narrow and constricted way, almost like in hand-to-hand combat, where the quarters are so tight you can barely, barely move. And oftentimes I think, when we are in despair or we are held under the power of anxiety and even depression, we feel the weight of that pressing against us. We feel it coming from all sides. And it's, it almost seems like we are to an extent being suffocated, like there's very, very little room to move. And that's the idea here, along with the very literal idea of foes, it's, it's also the idea of, I can barely breathe because of my oppressors and how tightly they are pushing against me, both physically and probably more so psychologically. Now, when David says, oh, my soul or of my soul, he's talking about that breathing substance of a human being, that inner being of David. And so when he says here, Many are saying of my soul. Many are saying of me as a human being, there's no salvation for David. Now, to speak about someone's being was to try and exercise influence and control over them at their deepest level of being and who they are and their values and in their beliefs. And so when they're constricting around David, you get the sense that they're constricting around him and they are saying of him and his being God isn't here. He's not going to save David. And they're calling into question the reality of God to deliver. And so we see David crying out for deliverance. And he uses the name Lord, Yehovah or Jehovah, compared to the proper name of God, Elohim. Now, they refuse to use the name of David's Lord and instead use the more generic term for God and thus may expose the possibility that those who are after David are either pagans, non-Israelites, or Israelites who have drifted so far from God so as to look and act like a pagan. 
And so that's, that's the word that they're using there in, there is no salvation for him in God. They refuse to use the proper name of David's Lord and instead use the more generic term. And so it leaves us with the question, does Yahweh deliver? Does Yahweh deliver? Now, we'll also notice that in the second section, in verses 3 to 4, we see a cry for deliverance, or sorry, a cry for confidence. Now, this section, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. This carries with this cry a distinct hint of hindsight. Did you catch it? A distinct glimpse of hindsight. The Lord has delivered in the past. He will deliver today. David says that the Lord is a shield about me. Now, the shield can be interpreted two ways. One, uh, it could indicate a small shield used for hand-to-hand combat. Yet, in this sense, it means that the Lord is fully encompassing David. He's a fully encompassing shield, a 360-degree encampment around David. So when David says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, he's saying, you're not only a shield in front of me, but you're a shield behind me and to the sides, protecting me all around. And this word that he uses for glory is that recognizable dignity or honor bestowed upon human beings because of their status. And this is tied directly to the value and being mentioned in the first two verses. And so when the enemies come to destroy the very being of a person, when they come to destroy the very personhood and humanity of David, they're coming against the glory of that person as a creature made in the image of God. And this is the station that David is referring. And it could also be carrying a connotation of David as the anointed king of Israel. You are the glory and the lifter of my head. And you see, the lifting of the head is a public declaration of bestowing on one dignity and honor. For the Lord to lift the head is to signal a sign of acceptance and approval. This was contrasted with how a conqueror would place their foot on the head or the neck of the one conquered. And then they would lift their own head in defiant arrogance. And so when David here is saying, you are the lifter of my head, he's giving honor and glory to God and remembering and announcing that God himself is lifting the head of David and pronouncing to everybody watching and listening that God has chosen David to be his anointed king. And he said, I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. I was crying. I was summoning. I was proclaiming. I was appealing to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. You'll notice there that there's no delay in between David crying out and the Lord answering. And in essence, we see in verses five to six, the cry 
of courage. David says, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. So as a result of the perspective that David has in the previous two stanzas, David is able to rest completely knowing that God is the sustainer and strengthener of his soul. And when David says that the Lord has sustained me, He's really talking about how David leans upon the Lord. He's saying, in essence, I can lean on the Lord and he will hold me up. And it also carries with it the idea of refreshment, rejuvenation, security. So the Lord not only sustains David, but he also rejuvenates David's soul. And in doing that, David is able to say, I will not be afraid. I will not stand in fear. I will not stand in awe of them, meaning his enemies. Even as they set themselves against me, David says, I will not be dismayed by what I see. I will not be dismayed by whatever happens because I lean on the Lord. And not only is he my source of strength and stability, he also refreshes and rejuvenates my soul in the face of what's happening in front of me right now. And it reminds us of Proverbs 3, 21, where it says, My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. What tremendous security, strength, and peace there is in the Lord. And arriving at the last stanza, verses 7 and 8, I've called this the cry of deliverance. The cry of deliverance. You see here, it's a plea for deliverance flowing from the very beginning of this psalm. David says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies in the cheek and you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord, your blessing beyond your people. There are pleas for deliverance flowing from the beginning of this psalm, pleas for the Lord to come and thwart the plans of the wicked encamped around him. And an urgency surrounds the call and plea and denotes an immediate action from the moment one arises. Striking the cheek is an act of public disgrace, and David is calling upon the Lord to publicly shame his enemies. You see, in 1 Kings chapter 22, it tells us that Zedekiah, the son of Cheninah, came near and struck Micah on the cheek and said, How did the Spirit of the Lord go from me to you? And in Micah chapter 5, it says, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. And so breaking the teeth is symbolic of disarming the ravenous animals that sought to lay hold of its victim by the jaw. 
And that's the metaphor that David is trying to explain to us here, that God will strike them on the cheek so hard that he will break their teeth and they will have no other recourse than to let go of their prey. So God will be the ultimate rescuer of David. And here we have in the final verse, a culmination for people to draw to the whole comfort and the whole reality of God's preservation and deliverance as it is experienced by the whole body, not just those in positions of prestige and significance, but salvation belongs to the Lord, your blessing beyond your people. Now, when we look at this psalm, I come across a couple questions in the sense that fear has a powerful grip on people, does it not? Fears based upon the past, fears about what may happen during the present time that we're in right now, fears of the future for both the church and the world. We know that there will be an ultimate clash between the two kingdoms. And so with fear, scripture tells us in Proverbs 28 that the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. And in Romans 8, Paul tells us, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So for the Christian, when we fear, we need to remember who's in control. And that's hard to do sometimes because when we're looking at things going on around us, even in our own very lives, sometimes it's hard to remember that God is in control of everything. But the righteous are as bold as a lion because they have the courage of God flowing through them. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Don't let your hearts be troubled by what you see going on around you. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And if we want to talk about victory, we could look at Hebrews chapter 2 starting in verse 14, where it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, meaning Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slaveries. So you see here that fear isn't only relegated to the physical realm and even to our current circumstances that we're in, but you see many people are afraid of dying. Many people are afraid of death. And what we can learn from this psalm is that no matter what's going on around us, no matter what we're experiencing, even if it's the very fear of death, we don't have to have fear. Because we belong to the Lord. He is ours. He is our refuge and our safety. He is the one who will strike our enemies on the cheek and break their hold. You see, we triumph in and through the blood of Jesus. We find salvation in the Lord. He's the one who calls us. He justified us. He sanctifies us. He sustains us and he preserves us. And he will reward those who are faithful. And I'm reminded of the discussion that God had in the garden when he was done 
cursing the man and the woman because of their sin. Do we remember what he said about the serpent? That the serpent will strike the heel of the one who's coming to rescue all of humanity. Satan will strike his heel, but Jesus will crush his head. And that is much more than slapping someone on the cheek or even breaking their teeth with an iron rod. Jesus will crush the head of the serpent. That is Psalm 3. May God's peace go with you. And remember, you belong to him. Amen. Amen.